Hey there, welcome to Your Living Health. This is the podcast where we talk about real life strategies to reduce your chronic inflammation. Each episode, we're going to uncover tools for how you can lose weight and achieve optimal health. I'm your host, Carly Lucchese. I'm a UC Davis trained registered dietitian, and I'm also a life coach. So together, let's coach through the science of inflammation, but in a way that's simple, purposeful, and fun. You ready? Let's go. Hey there, welcome back. We are here once again talking about bottom-up inflammation. So we are today going to focus our attention on what you can do to feel amazing. So we all eat food, of course. I hope all of us eat food. And unfortunately, through the exposure and the need to eat this food, we are going to ingest a lot of different chemical groups and a lot of different foods that our system just might not do well with. So there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong, obviously, with eating food. It's just the problem comes in when the foods that we eat and the chemicals that we're exposed to make us feel like crap every single day. So today, we are going to focus our attention on food sensitivities, or otherwise known as adverse food reactions, and we're going to dig a little bit deeper into the common mechanisms behind this frequent problem, what symptoms you might be seeing because of them, and exactly what you can do to resolve these symptoms in your life. So, Let's first talk about the different ways that you might be reacting to food because in each of these situations, you're going to want to enlist a different strategy to solve the different problems because each of the mechanisms is different and there's different causes and different reasons why you're experiencing potentially similar symptoms. So I want to start with food intolerances. So what this refers to is this impaired digestion, which means your body just doesn't have the ability to break down certain food compounds. So this can usually lead to intense and immediate GI distress, such as with the case with lactose intolerance or even fructose intolerance. Everybody has that friend that cannot handle milk products, right? They run to the bathroom immediately after, and that's because their body just doesn't have the capacity. They don't produce the enzyme required to break this food compound down. So avoidance of this problem food is usually the primary way that the problem is addressed, but sometimes what you can do is take an external enzyme that helps your body to be able to break down this food with less symptoms. So that's the case with, you know, taking an external lactase enzyme that'll help your body to break down the lactose molecule. So another way that you can experience an adverse food reaction is from a bacterial overgrowth that can happen in different locations within your intestines. So this topic alone deserves an entire episode because it is such an in-depth and diverse problem. So there's a lot of different locations that these bacteria can grow. There's a lot of different types of bacteria. There's a lot of different problems that can present from kind of this common um, situation. 
So kind of a, a broad summary is that when bacteria are present in the small intestine in large amounts, they can consume nutrients that should be absorbed instead by the body. This can lead to malabsorption, and it can result in a lot of annoying symptoms like diarrhea and gas and bloating and abdominal pain. But in addition, the presence of these bacteria where they shouldn't be, it can cause fermentation of undigested carbohydrates, and this can lead to the production of gas and bloating. So any type of bacterial overgrowth can lead to damage to the intestinal lining, and this can lead to even an increased permeability, which is like what you'll often hear as leaky gut, and that can lead to even more inflammation. So there's different locations that these bacteria can grow, and there's different bacterial strains that can grow in each of these different locations. You know, there can be a candida overgrowth. There can be a methanogen overgrowth more up in the upper small intestine. There can be a lot of different types of bacteria that can grow. But Ultimately, it leads to a variety of symptoms beyond just the digestive system, and it can include fatigue and brain fog, joint pain, skin rashes. Addressing this problem is very complex and highly individualized because there has to be efforts taken to figure out what bacteria are growing in abundance. And then you have to put in place a plan that's going to starve out these bacteria. And it's likely going to include not only um, food adjustments, but also herbal or pharmacological therapies that are designed to kill off these invasive colonies. So definitely, if this is you, reach out for professional support or guidance. If you're experiencing or you suspect that you're experiencing a bacterial or a methanogen style overgrowth. So next, we can experience more um, I would say this category is more genetically driven food ins- uh, food sensitivities, and this can predominantly look like a histamine intolerance. So often a histamine intolerance, it's caused by a variation within your individual genetics that can lead to the limited production of D- DAO. So that is responsible for the breakdown of histamines. You can accumulate histamines from the foods that you eat, or you can accumulate histamines from um, your own body releasing histamines in response to the foods that you're eating or different things that you're exposed to, such as pollen. So the overaccumulation of histamine in the body can lead to a variety of symptoms that can include, but of course not limited to, flushing or hives or skin rashes, itching, abdominal pain or bloating, headaches, fatigue, anxiety. So respiratory problems um, also can be seen with a histamine intolerance or um, excessive coughing or wheezing, shortness of breath. But within this category of histamines, I want to note another condition that can kind of present in a similar way, which is called mast cell activation disorder. So both mast cell activation disorder and histamine intolerance, it can be triggered 
or it can be worsened by certain foods or certain medications and definitely by environmental factors. So the underlying causes of mast cell activation disorder and histamine intolerance, they are different. So mast cell activation disorder, that is a condition where your mast cells, which is a type of immune cell, they are actually hyperreactive and they just produce excessive amounts of histamine and other type of inflammatory mediators in response to a variety of triggers. So these triggers can include stress or foods or environmental factors. Whereas a histamine intolerance is caused by an inability to break down histamines properly. And this is where there can be a deficiency in the enzyme called DAO. So the symptoms of mast cell activation disorder and histamine intolerance, they can also differ in severity and duration. So Uh, mast cell activation disorder, it can lead to more severe and longer lasting symptoms. And it can even progress into more of like an anaphylaxis style reaction. Whereas histamine intolerance, I mean, it can be severe in itself in regards to, you know, the severity of fatigue or the severity and anxiety or um, other type of like cognitive issues, but it's a little bit more mild than the mast cell activation disorder. So finally, of course, the diagnosis and treatment of mast cell activation disorder and histamine intolerances, they can differ too. So usually mast cell is typically diagnosed through a combination of, you know, there's your clinical symptoms, there's some laboratory tests, there's blood and urine tests that need to be enlisted. And then the treatments for mast cell are going to be more medication focused, such as antihistamines or maybe some mast cell stabilizers, which can be more vitamin um, or supplement um, targeted. There can also be immune modulators that are used. Whereas a histamine intolerance, it more looks like um, diagnosed through symptom assessment and then it's usually fixed or symptoms are resolved from dietary exclusion and then reintroduction to figure out the types of foods that you're reacting to and the dosage to which you're reacting to. So the treatment of a histamine intolerance, it's going to involve dietary changes and supplements and even in the extreme situation, or seasonally, you might need to enlist a DAO enzyme as a replacement type therapy. That's like an external pill that you can take. So that kind of helps you to understand um, with histamine intolerances and more genetically driven intolerances. But then, of course, there is the classic category of food allergies. So this is definitely the most dangerous of the food reactions. So food allergies are an adverse immune reaction to a food that can be, I mean, obviously it can be from mild to severe, but Often what we hear is a lot of these life-threatening cases when someone with a food allergy consumes a particular food. So what happens is that their immune system mistakenly identifies certain proteins within these foods as harmful 
And um, it really mounts this immune response. So the immune response that happens, it triggers the release of histamine and other chemicals within the body. And it can really lead to a variety of symptoms, uh, but in the most severe situations can lead to anaphylaxis and um, just really that closing of the air pipe and um, unfortunately, severe need for quick medical intervention, right? That's where like the EpiPens can come to play. So food allergies can develop at any age, but they're really most common in children because that's when the immune system starts to notice and, and really build that defense to certain foods. Often these foods include something like nuts or um, milk, eggs, fish, shellfish, soy, and even wheat in some situations. So with food allergies, which is an IgE-based reaction, your complete and careful avoidance of these foods is often um, and usually the only solution that you can use in these situations. So now we're going to move more to a category that um, a lot of you deal with more frequently. So this is the category of food sensitivities, non-allergenic food hypersensitivity, and adverse food reactions. So of course, these are all different ways that you can label the same underlying condition. Because ultimately, what we're talking about here is you experiencing adverse symptoms when you expose your body to something that it doesn't like. So this is the category where lab testing can help you to identify answers so that you can figure out what you need to avoid and to figure out what you should eat more frequently. Unfortunately, though, this is where many of you have been misled and may have developed more of a food fear than a confidence in your ability to eat well for your body. So how many of you out there have done a food sensitivity test from Everlywell or from York Tests or LabCorp, CBS, Amazon? A lot of these kit draws, they claim to identify what foods you're sensitive to based on an IgG-based marker. And then from this test, from the knowledge obtained from this test, then they just simply say, avoid these foods moving forward, right? So it seems straightforward. It seems logical and makes sense. But unfortunately, these tests don't use an accurate marker to measure to determine what your body may feel threatened by. So IgG-based food sensitivity testing, this is a type of blood test that measures the levels of immunoglobulin G, globulin, not gob, it's not a goblin, (laughs) immunoglobulin G antibodies. And this is in response to specific foods. So while these tests are marketed as a way to identify food sensitivities, Unfortunately, elevated IgG antibodies to certain foods, it might simply just be indicating an exposure to these foods rather than an immune reaction that's leading to symptoms. So this can lead to the avoidance of foods that you might have no problems with at all. So there's unfortunately, there's no one perfect test that's going to identify food sensitivities. It just does not exist. 
So the test that I have found to be the most accurate is the mediator release test. So the MRT, it is a blood test that measures changes in white blood cells in response to the exposure to different certain foods and to those foods chemicals. So during the MRT lab test, a sample of your blood, it's mixed with different foods and different food chemicals. And then the levels of inflammatory mediators that are released from your white blood cells in response to each food substance is measured. So the results of this test are then used to identify which foods and which food chemicals might be triggering this immune response and maybe contributing to the presentation of symptoms. So the MRT, it's based on the premise that certain foods and certain chemicals, they can trigger the release of inflammatory mediators. That can include histamines or cytokines, prostaglandins, like it doesn't really matter but the release of these mediators is what can cause you a range of symptoms such as headaches and joint pains and digestive issues. But even this test, you can't simply obtain the results of this test and then just avoid the foods that it targets as more reactive. It doesn't work like that. So with any food sensitivity test out there, you have to put in place a carefully designed elimination or oligoantigenic diet, which is going to help you to really tease through the variables and to identify any inaccuracies within a particular lab test. There's no test in the world that is 100% accurate 100% of the time. And there's no test in the world that can be inclusive enough to identify how your system responds to the interrelationship of foods within cooked products, such as, I mean, teriyaki chicken, pork, um, any type of pot roast, or, you know, pasta, any type of food that combines different ingredients together. So foods that are tested separately within the test it's a whole different ballgame compared to foods cooked or to foods that you're exposed to on a daily basis. So it just helps you to establish a starting point. Working with a professional to be your investigator, kind of in the background, and then following a carefully designed food protocol, complete with guidelines and um, foods to use in certain weeks and then including food journals, it's the only way that you're going to be able to accurately identify what foods you're reacting to. And it's going to help you to identify what chemical groups you're reacting to, what portion sizes you're reacting to, the different exposure rates that you're reacting to. And when you test for food sensitivities, that's just the starting point. The real magic always will come from careful adherence to a six to eight week food protocol and then a careful plan of food introduction following that cleansing period um, of that strict food protocol. So adverse food reactions you can have many different symptoms that are associated with them that are incorrectly associated with other conditions, such as, I'm just getting old, right? How many of you think that feeling like crap is just because you're getting old? 
It's not true, right? Or often I hear like, oh, it's just my allergies or, oh, I'm just getting sick. I just didn't sleep well. Adverse food reactions, they can be frequently missed because it can take up to 72 hours to present themselves. And there isn't always a GI symptom associated with them. So usually food is always kind of the targeted culprit when someone has um, intestinal cramping or bloat, diarrhea, and then they you just simply look back to, okay, well, what was consumed, you know, the last time I ate or what was consumed within the last few hours. This is how f- adverse food reactions are often missed. Many times they don't even present themselves with GI symptoms. Adverse food reactions, they can be seen as symptoms just of chronic inflammation. So chronic inflammation, it can be seen with cognitive impairments such as anxiety or depression, brain fog or forgetfulness. There can be skin issues such as eczema, rashes, redness, flushing, or even like those rosy cheeks that you can see. There can be allergy-style symptoms with adverse food reactions, such as a drippy nose or sinus pressure, sneezing, or a stuffy nose. There can be throat issues, like a swollen throat, kind of like an itchy or a tingling tongue, lips, or throat. There can be that sticky snot in the back of your throat where you have to always be clearing your throat all the time. You can be uh, have headaches develop, migraines, ear issues, or even issues with your vision. Food reactions can even present as achy joints or muscle cramping, twitches, sore muscles, or muscle aches. And then, of course, there can be the easily identified or classic symptoms such as heartburn, stomach pain or cramping, Uh, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, nausea, or even excessive gas production. There are so many different ways that adverse food reactions can show up. So you have to be really careful to, to listen, right? Listen to your body when it's giving you symptoms. And then carefully be working towards identifying what is causing this bottom-up inflammation through a carefully designed process in order to identify what your system is reacting to. So if you're having problems with adverse food reactions and you're looking for someone to help you to uncover what's leading to this bottom-up inflammation, I want to encourage you to head on over to yourlivinghealth.com, book your free consult so we can just have a chat about what's been going on and just to identify if the the program that I offer to see if it's even a fit for your unique situation. Because food reactions suck, right? We all know it. And it is such a joy when I'm able to help to empower my clients with the knowledge of what foods and what chemicals they should limit and the extent to which they need to limit them. Often what we find is that no foods are truly off limits. There just needs to be some guidelines to set limits on maybe how much they're um, indulging in this certain food or even how much they're indulging in each particular sitting. All right. I hope this has cleared up um, a little bit more of what you understand about adverse food reactions. And I hope you have an amazing week and I look forward to talking to you soon. All right. Bye. 
Hey, change is hard and doing it without professional guidance can make it seem impossible. If you're willing to do the work, I can make your path to longevity straight and strategic. Take the first step, head on over to yourlivinghealth.com and book your free consult so we can chat about your unique situation. And please take a second or two and leave me a review. Thank you for your interest in reducing your chronic inflammation and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.